yeah, I gotta keep it 100. Time to highlight the power people, yeah, all the people of color. Yeah, you know this is brown and money, brown and money, brown and money. This is brown and money, brown and money, brown and money. Yeah. Yeah, tune in, this is major You know we gotta show love to the darker shaded movers and shakers For real, this is Brown and money, brown and money, brown and money This is brown and money, brown and money, brown and money, yeah Hi guys, and welcome to Brown and Money This is Tiffy T, the resale queen Tiffany Tracy, if you want to know my full name but uh, welcome to the Brown and Money podcast. Today on Brown and Money, we are going to be doing another intimate portrait. And this intimate portrait is going to be on Annie Malone. Now, Annie Malone is a name that I honestly just learned about a couple of years ago. I'm I'll me give it about 10. I'll say maybe about 10 years ago. And the reason why I found out who she was is really because I was looking into Madam C.J. Walker. And I believe that it's safe to say if there wasn't an Annie Malone, there wouldn't be a Madam C.J. Walker. Someone had to teach Madam C.J. Walker what to do. And so today we're going to discuss the life and do an intimate portrait on Annie Malone. Annie Malone was born August 9th, 1869. She was the 10th of 11 children. She was born in Metropolis, Illinois to former slaves. Her father was Robert Turnbow, who happened to be a former Union soldier, and her mother was Isabella Cook. Now Annie's parents died at a very young age, when she was at a very young age. So Annie was raised by her older sister in Peoria, Illinois. Now, let's just talk about what's, what's going on during that time period. Now, when I did my research on Annie Malone, I found actually several different birth dates. I, considering the way records were back then, uh, it's a possibility internet might say one thing, uh, and the truth be something else. Um, I went by the sites that the sites or the publications that were uh, done by people who either I can't say knew her, but were influenced by her, or who were basically doing what they're doing as a dedication to her. So I figured they got her date of birth correct. However, other places had her being born in 1877 instead of 1869. Either way, it was the 1800s, and life wasn't easy for people that looked like me. So, but that's, if you happen to do your own research, which I really encourage you to do with, with these intimate portraits, you're going to notice that. So I just wanted to give you that information up front and let you know that I'm going off of the places that looked like they were um, inspired by Annie Malone to so to get the date correct. Uh, so her parents died uh, when she was at, at an early age. Um, back then, the life expectancy uh, wasn't that high. You know, they didn't have the modern medical systems that we have today. Um, 
people's habits weren't the same because honestly, they probably didn't have the money to do that. You know, some people were probably still using an outhouse or, well, they not probably, they were using an outhouse to go to the bathroom. Uh, so hygiene was not what it is today. So just keep in mind that her being sent to her older sister to be raised, that's actually quite common. I mean, it's actually something that's happened in my own family with my, with my grandmother. So I, this is not something that, that you should look at like, well, why was that done or things like that? It's just well, the way life was back then. So Annie, from what I can tell, she grew up and had an interest in hair and hair care. Now, she did not finish high school from what I understand. And I understand that she also had some illnesses as a child. So well, keep in mind, again, the time. So things that we could persevere with because, you know, we got vaccinations and things like that. That would put a person down for a while. So just keep thinking about that time period. But she obviously persevered through those times and was still, you know, able to do something that she cared about. So Annie was very fascinated with hair and hair care. Um, that was something that she really liked to play with. So I really, really think that obviously she decided to do something that she really, really enjoyed. So just keep that in mind, you know, she went into a business that she liked, something that she really enjoyed doing. So I, I just kind of want to put that in your mind frame so that you guys, you know, kind of understand that, you know, she did something that she had some, some knowledge in as well as something that she enjoyed. Why not start a business for something that you enjoyed? So one of the, what she was doing was being a, she was a lover, basically a styling, a styling hair. So she envisioned a way to straighten hair without having to use some of the methods that they used back then. Now, what I found out was some of the methods was to straighten hair was they would use soap, something called goose fat, a lot of heavy oils, butter, child, they even use bacon grease, and, and a cardi combs of sheeps. So I, I try to look these things up and realize, oh my God, what a process a person went through to get their hair straight. So what she, she, she did was, um, there was also a method back then where you would use lye mixed with potatoes. And she was very turned off of with that procedure because it damaged scalps and it and it like you know broken your hair follicles now anyone who's ever gotten their hair straightened or relaxed as we like to say you already know what you're doing to your hair it happens that's that's just the way it is now it turns out that annie's aunt was what we call an herbal doctor of that time 
So she had a knowledge of chemistry. So Annie was able with her help to develop a chemical that could be used to straighten hair without causing damage to the hair or the scalp. So by the time she was in her late 20s, she had a straightening solution and she was on her way of starting, of starting her business. So Annie Malone started to uh, develop and manufacture her own product line of non-damaging hair straighteners, special oils, hair stimulant products, all for African-American women. She named her new product the Wonderful Hair Grower. So to promote her new product, Annie sold the Wonderful Hair Grower and bottles door to door. So let's stop right there. <laughs> so that means that she had to travel every day to sell these products door to door, which means she had to know which black neighborhoods to go to. Okay. Yeah. So being that, that, that was basically the process back then. Um, you know, you had your insurance salesman, your milkman, you're like, everyone came door to door. So it's not, it wasn't her sitting behind a desk and click, click, clicking away on the internet. She had to put some feet, some, excuse me, feet to the pavement, so to speak. Okay. So in, I believe it's, uh, in 1902, uh, Annie moved to St. Louis, where she and three assistants continued her business, and they all were selling door to door. So one of the things uh, that she did to attract new business was that she gave away free treatments. Think about that. How many times can you give away something, and then that creates a customer for life? Many places follow that that practice I'm just just something that these are the reasons looking at what she did and other entrepreneurs I look at them as examples of how to run my business that's really how I got started in even doing this podcast because I was already doing the research I wanted to see what other people did this process of giving away a free treatment it can give you a customer for life because they got they got to get the feeling of the new product without having to pay for it. And they got the results without having to pay for it. So next time they're going to pay for it because they were happy with the results. So those things just to keep in mind. So in 1902, actually Annie got married to a man by the name of Nelson Pope. Now, I wasn't able to uh, find pictures of him um, that I thought were credible. Once again, you know, I'm doing my own research on this, so I don't want to put up something that, um, that isn't correct. Now, they didn't stay married too long. Um, Annie and uh, Nelson Pope divorced in 1907. So I don't really know what the situation was within their marriage. Um, as Getting divorced is not was not as common as back then as it is today. So I imagine, you know, things just weren't working well. She, without knowing who she was, but 
just looking at the spirit of who she was through the different researches, she was obviously a strong and determined woman. That could turn some people off because, you know, they think we're supposed to sit in the kitchen and birth babies and make dinner. So not saying that was the case. I'm just saying. <laughs> so Annie continued with her business. Uh, and actually, uh, as she continued, in 1914, she married a man by the name of Aaron Malone. Now, he was a former teacher. I believe he was actually a principal at one point and a religious book salesperson, salesman, excuse me. Now, during that time, Annie Malone, her worth was well over a million dollars. In St. Louis, due to the demands of her business, uh, she uh, built a five-story, like, multi-purpose facility. So she had a huge building, as you can see. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this, you can always watch my YouTube channel and you can see the pictures that I was able to get. Uh, if you prefer to listen, keep on listening. <laughs> so during that time, she launched a wide advertising campaign in black press. She held news conferences, she toured southern states, and she recruited many women to be trained to sell her products. Now, understand the way that her training went. Uh, she uh, had a facility called Poro College. Poro College is where she went through the process um, of teaching her sales, her sales force how to sell her products, but not only was it just a, it wasn't just a, like an orientation, like she gave, there were classes on physical appearance, talk about getting a great self-respect, uh, about achieving, um, success. It, in my opinion, the from what I have gathered as what went on in the college, it was more than just a training session to sell her products. It was a training session to for life, to be honest, in my opinion, uh, from looking at the way that, that this was handled, the way that things were handled um, at the college, you didn't just go there to learn how the products worked. You actually learned, you went there to, to, to really learn how to run a business and how to, um, how to conduct yourself in a professional manner, uh, from what, for, for what I, from what I can tell, um, classes, um, that they provided were, how to walk, talk, and behave in social situations. Um, things to help improve and give you like a positive self-image. Um, it may seem odd <laughs> that, you know, you had a class that taught you how to walk, but I think you had to understand what was going on during those times. Um, during those times, this is the early 1900s, you're... She was probably dealing with 
students that were coming in that were former, who's, well, I would say their parents were probably former slaves. So they weren't taught um, some of the ways of society beyond probably what their parents knew. Um, as I do my research on a lot of these different entrepreneurs, a lot of these people, their parents were once slaves uh, or were very close, you know, very close to the slave trade. So their education wasn't sitting in a classroom. You know, for a lot of these people, they were probably the first ones to actually really go to school and to be focused on studies. You know, so they essentially probably could read, but maybe their parents couldn't. So these are all things to keep in mind on why this would be important. Now, I think about other places and other businesses. Now, I'm not saying they teach you how to walk, but they do teach you how to conduct yourself in business. I have been in quite a few uh, management classes and courses that did talk about a way to conduct yourself to be professional. And that's really what I look at, the way that I look at it uh, as what, what was being taught. Now, this grand multi-purpose um, building that she had it was basically really a complex because, of course, it had the classrooms, it had her laboratories, it had conference rooms, had like a smoking parlor, a cafeteria, a dining hall. Well, it even had an ice cream shop in it. Uh, had an emergency hospital, a theater, a gymnasium, a chapel. I believe there was also a garden, laundry, and a seamstress shop. Now, I want to talk about the seamstress shop. So during my research, I found that the uniforms that uh, that the college students wore, as well as the sales perk people wore, they were made at the seamstress shop right there on the complex. Um, she also had dormitories there, so you could live there and go to college and and learn about cosmetology. Um, Really, she had everything set up at, at this complex, really. I really think she was before her time. Uh, so let's talk about some of her famous students. Now, I know I talked about earlier about Madam C.J. Walker. I want to get to that. But I want to tell you about another famous student that you may go, why? I did not know that. So I am sure... Many of you have heard of the song, Johnny Be Good. And the person who sung that song that we all should know is Chuck Berry. So I'm bringing it all the way back here. <laughs> so Chuck Berry, uh, he actually trained as a beautician um, under the the Poro system or the Poro college and he graduated. Um, he was actually following the steps of his sisters. Um, from what I understand the whole, the family was quite musical, uh, but the sisters um, kind of decided to go, instead of trying to go the path to be, you know, C 
singing sensations, they decide, okay, we're going to go this path because we need to make money, which, which makes, makes sense to me. Many of us have a lot of aspirations of it said, you know what, let me follow this other path because I have bills. But one of her famous uh, students was Chuck Berry. He graduated her college and was one of, went through her system, which I thought was uh, <laughs> quite interesting. But does make sense because Chuck Berry's hair always did look good. <laughs> so her other famous student, well, one of her famous students, is known as Sarah Breedlove. You may say, who the hell is that? Well, if you listened to my previous podcast, you know that was the original and given name to Madam C.J. Walker. Now, Madam C.J. Walker and Annie Malone had a disagreement. Uh, from my research from my other podcasts, it seems like Madam C.J. Walker had some suggestions on how she can make the product better. Obviously, Annie Malone disagreed, and Madam C.J. Walker left and built her empire. Now, there's a lot of, um, I'm going to say, researching this, there was a lot of people, like different articles, that are quite upset <laughs> with the notoriety, the notoriety that came with Madam C.J. Walker, being that she learned everything from Annie Malone. Annie, I really think part of it is because of what ended up happening with Annie's business, whereas Madam C.J. Walker, there's, there's still products being produced today. So... That's why I believe a lot of people don't know who Annie Walker, I mean, who, I said Annie Walker, wow, who Annie Malone is or wasn't privy to that information or because, because of the legacy that was left for her. Now, definitely a philanthropist. She gave to her community. The region of St. Louis owes her a lot from from her taking care of paved roads to um she was actually I don't know, well I don't know if she started it but I know that she was definitely on the board and helped to raise money for what was then known as the St. Louis Colored Orphans Home which was um, a place for for mothers and ch and children, where it's it's now serves as like a place is actually still standing and serves more of a place for mothers and children um, as a way to kind of help them get a step up. Um, she gave money to uh, the actually there was a big donation that kind of made the paper. She made a donation of $25,000 to help build the St. Louis uh, y YWCA, 
which um, at that time was still segregated. So it was for a colored YWCA. Um, it was also widely known that she also gave to Howard University. Uh, at that time, she gave, I believe, $25,000. And that donation was among probably one of the largest gifts the university received from a private donor of African descent, which says a lot about the money that she amassed. Now you're thinking $25,000, how much really was that? Think about this time period. Now we're in, we're in about the 1920s right now when these things were done. $25,000 was a lot of money. In fact, <laughs> even in the 70s, $25,000 was a lot of money. 2019, 2020, probably not looking at a lot of money. That's a drop in a bucket for, for most corporations. But for, for her during that time, that was a lot of money, uh, especially for the, uh, the, the orphanage. Uh, from what I understand, the, with the $10,000 that she gave them, that they were able to erupt the building. Like that's what it cost to build the massive building was $10,000. So that, that, that money went a long way back then. So I don't want anyone to look at the amounts and go, I ain't that much money. Understand it was a different time. The, uh, the rate of what money was worth at that point versus what it is today, the cost of living was completely different. So that was her giving a lot of her wealth. You know, it was also reported that her and her her taxes back then um, was close to forty thousand dollars. Now, understand that uh, the tax structure back then was a little bit different because companies paid uh, so paid paid taxes. There wasn't a lot of loopholes and things like that given, but that lets you know the type of wealth that she achieved to know that she was paying that much in taxes. Annie Malone's marriage to you to Aaron Malone ended, but it didn't end quietly and it didn't end cheaply. Uh, so apparently for about six years leading up to 1927, Annie and her husband were um, in a power struggle about who was in control of the Poro business. See, what happened, while Annie worked very hard to build the company, she obviously, she was there on the ground floor, so to speak. She hit her feet to the pavement and sold, and sold things. But her business got to a point where she was able to, I don't want to say walk away, but she was able to walk away and put it and put it into the hands of other people. One of those people was her husband. He served as the president of the company, um, along with some other um, other managers that were left in control. While she was able to to give freely and do as she will with her money. Um, 
those people probably weren't looked after as they should have been because from what I understand, some of the people that were involved as being um, managers really didn't have the experience needed to be in those positions, which is kind of sad to me, but I understand what she was trying to do. Just trying to make sure everybody else can make it. But sometimes you just can't do that. And, you know, with the managers, they, from what I understand, they were inexperienced and some were even dishonest, which leads me to believe maybe some people did some things that were underhanded that, that weren't readily import, uh, reported. But in 1927, her and her husband divorced. Well, they went through a nasty divorce. And according to Aaron Malone, he demanded half of the business. He wanted half. Because <laughs> he claimed that Poro's success was due to his contacts that he brought to the company and the fact that he had to court black leaders and politicians, um, he really tried to get them on his side. However, Annie Malone was able, because of all the charitable works that she did, uh, she was able to get support um, from her workers as well as other charitable institutions as well as Mary Bethune, who at that time was the president of the National Association of Colored Women, um, they all gave her her support. And so she was able to negotiate a settlement of $200,000 to her ex-husband. It's a lot of money back then. And this, these type of things that were going on even made the paper. So her her private life was out there for everyone to see and to know that her husband was was trying to take her company the one that she started before she even met him but i digress so uh entering into the 1930s um now that she had control of her business and she was the sole owner, uh, she entered, uh, and she was entering into her 60s by this time, and she decided to move her business to Chicago, Illinois, uh, where its location became as the Poro Block, because um, what she did was she bought, she literally bought the whole block. <laughs> so, um, her business began to still thrive as as it was but then some things happened that and that ended that ended the control of her business so there were some lawsuits that came through it was a lawsuit uh from i believe it was a former employee who claimed to to credit for to claim to credit that they were part of the business's success now, I don't really know the ins and outs. I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't try to go find the lawsuit. I was just reading different reports about it. 
I don't know if it, the suit even had merit. She settled it. By settling it, she was forced to sell her St. Louis property, which was the big property that she had with the college and everything like that. Um, that's kind of sad to me that that's what she was forced to do. But then Uncle Sam comes and says, we want our money. Now, keep in mind, I was taught... I was talking about earlier how at one point she was paying like $40,000 in her income taxes. Well, unfortunately, those bills started to not get paid. So due to that, her business was crippled with, with the debt to the government for unpaid real estate taxes and excise taxes. So back then, like, the government required, like, a 20% tax on what they considered were luxuries, which included hair care products. So she was required to pay that um, to, to, to the IRS back then. I don't know if it was still formed. Yeah, it was. It was the Internal Revenue Service. So during, like, 1940, in the early 1940s, I believe it was 1943, she actually owed all close to $100,000 to the IRS. So the IRS put a lien on her business and the assets. And there were other creditors as well that were owed money. So her business, basically, her whole business enterprise went to selling off goods to pay her taxes because the government came in and so did her credit and so did her creditors. So at 87 years of age, May 10th, 1957, Annie Malone passes away in the Chicago hospital. She was being treated for having a stroke. <sighs> Annie Malone really contributed a lot to her community. There's so many different things that she contributed to that I think a lot of people just may not realize, you know, from, from the fact of the system that she had set up for her students at Poro College, she gave them not just a sense of worth, but she also gave a lot of encouragement for the, uh, a lot of encouragement for achievements that they've made. She was known to give gifts for, uh, for purchasing homes, uh, for also, uh, uh, she would award like her employees with lavish gifts for attendance, uh, punctuality, service anniversaries. I even read somewhere that when you reached a certain milestone, she was giving out diamond rings <laughs> as a reward. Um, she also gave rewards for investing in real estate, which I, I think she was on to something there. Um, 
much. She also gave so much to charitable, so much charitable, charitable donations. You know, it's, I, we talked about the St. Louis um, colored children's home who, and that home actually right before her death, uh, I believe it's 1946, before she passes away, they renamed that as the Annie Malone Children's Home. Um, and she also had, I don't know, if I believe, I'm not sure if the way that it worked is that if the students came from that home, but every year she supported two college students at, um, at every Black Land Grant uh, College. You know, some of her donations, uh, we talked about the St. Louis Colored Children's Home. She gave money to to Howard University. She also gave money to the Tuskegee Institute uh, as well. Uh, so now it's time for my commentary on this. This is my take. She obviously loved her community. She gave and gave, and I actually think it was probably to her detriment. And I don't mean that in a, in a harsh way, but it looks like to me, she was more concerned on the giving at one point than maybe concerned with the business. And I think that's what her downfall was because she put her trust in the wrong people when it came to running her business. Her business was essentially ran by her soon-to-be ex-husband and whatever managers were in place. It didn't look to me that they were the right people to be doing that. And I believe that kind of sealed, sealed her fate. It brings me to a point where, you know that one saying, you can't take everyone with you? I think she was trying to do that. And I think it cost her. Uh, it cost her a lot, you know, to to have to go through that, you know, to have the IRS and your creditors come in and start selling things off on your business because you can't pay the bills. That says a lot. You know, what were those people doing to were they setting things up correctly? They obviously they weren't. Um, obviously, because of the success that they had, she obviously had the instruction down packed because, and I'm just going to be real, Madam C.J. Walker, in my opinion, basically followed probably everything she was taught. And, but she was taught by Annie Malone. And I think Anna Malone really hasn't gotten her due. I think historians always look to Madam C.J. Walker and say, oh, Madam C.J. Walker, she's the, the first millionaire, the first black female millionaire. And then as you start to research, you go, nah, Annie Malone had, had a million dollars before Madam C.J. Walker. You know, I will say, though, it's very possible that Madam C.J. Walker saw some things in her business, saw some things in Annie's business, 
and knew that she wasn't going to replicate that. And she took the good parts of Annie's business and adopted those good parts. And that's what I believe made Madam C.J. Walker a more notable name. So this has been an intimate portrait of Annie Malone. I, have, I am Tiffany Tracy, your host on Brown and Money. And I hope for you to hear me again. Have a good day, guys. Yeah, I gotta keep it 100. Time to highlight the power people. Yeah, all the people of color. Yeah, you know this is brown and money. Brown and money, brown and money. This is brown and money. Brown and money, brown and money. Yeah. Yeah, tune in, this is major. You know we gotta show love to the darker shaded movers and shakers. For real, this is brown and money. Brown and money, brown and money. This is brown and money. Brown and money, brown and money, yeah.